Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. So welcome to Life on Mars, the podcast of Mars Space, where we talk technology, innovation, entrepreneurship, and we talk to friends and customers and, and the extended family of the Martian company. We are, uh, we're here today with Brad, uh, Brad Van Leeuwen, if I, correct, if I correctly pronounce it. How are you doing, Brad? <laughs> you nailed it. Great to, uh, great to be on. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <clears throat> it's uh, with great pleasure that I interview you. Uh, you should have been with your co-founder, Christina, but I think you, you guys are, are busy. So thank you anyway for, for being here. Uh, how about you start introducing a little bit uh, what you do at, at, at Clidara and how this idea came about? Sure. So I'm the COO and, and co-founder. Clidara is an all-in-one SaaS purchasing and management platform. So we help companies manage, control, and automate their cloud software. This helps them scale their operational processes, <clears throat> comply with regulations, but most importantly, save money. Our customers not only save hours and hours every month, but they can also reduce their software spend by, we see up to 30%, so it's quite incredible. You've been around for not very long as a, as a startup. I mean, for a startup, you know, a couple of years might be, uh, might be a, long, a long time. But compared to some companies I have interviewed in the in the former podcast, which have been like 20 years around, that's uh, that's an entire lifetime for for you guys. So how when was the company created? Where was it created? Uh, you're based in the UK, but you got a distributed team. So how does that play out for you? Wow. Uh, so we started in June 2018. So we're a little over two years old. Uh, we managed to launch within three months. So we launched our first product and had our first customers within just three months of, of launching. And uh, we started in London, as you say, but actually we've, as we've grown the team, we're now 10 people. What we've really focused on is always hiring the best person for the job. So as it happens, uh, we do have, actually have uh, most of our people in Barcelona, but we also have people in places like Bratislava and we even have a, a Belgian guy that's living in the north of Thailand right now that helps us with, with UX. So it's been great because as a small company, it can sometimes be hard to attract the best people to a company that no one, not many people have heard of. But because we've been able to you know, not have constraints around geography, we've been able to attract some great people. And as it turned out with what's happening right now with everyone you know, working from their bedrooms, uh, having those muscles around how to run a remote company has been massively, massively helpful. One of the things, or maybe the main topic I wanted to talk about today is the fact that, you know, SaaS has been an ever-evolving um, industry and it has changed a lot lately because of the crisis, right? We will talk about why you went into SaaS in 2018, what opportunity you discovered there. But also what I want to talk to today is like, you, you know, some data from the industry about the behavior of companies, what they've done with their SaaS subscriptions, because we, as companies, we tend to hoard them over time, right? You subscribe to things, it's easy to subscribe, but you end up forgetting about most subscriptions, especially because they're really tiny payments for even for big companies. Some of the software you might be using might be 30 euros a month, 50 euros a month, uh, 100 a year, which is peanuts, but they keep accumulating, right? What opportunity, let's start from the beginning. What opportunity did you see in 2018? Why did you decide to get into the SaaS business and try to help you optimize uh, the company's usage of SaaS? At the time, Christina and I were working together at actually another fintech startup called Dupay. So we're a London-based, but we had offices in Amsterdam. We had a huge office with you know 50 plus people in Cairo, of all places. And we'd gone on this journey where we'd gone from not very many people to 140 people in all these different locations in about two years. And what happened was every time we hired somebody new, right? Every marketing person has a, the, the favorite subscription to some piece of software that's help, going to help them conquer the world. Or a designer has got a tool that they want to work in and share their designs with you. Everyone brought their own SaaS, everyone brought their own software. And that was great. The business could move fast, we could play to people's strengths. But the problem was you didn't know you just had no idea 
where your money was going, right? A lot of it was being paid on my Amex and it was literally catching fire every month. We didn't know where our customer data was going because, well, you know, data lives in all these tools. Um, and on top of that, our, everyone in the business was suffering. The team had SaaS fatigue because they didn't know what software they were meant to be using to do their job. The finance team were just having a misery, right? They literally had to chase everyone every month for an invoice so that they could do their job, their bookkeeping, their reconciliations, um, claiming back sales taxes. And the HR guys were fighting a losing battle as well because every time someone joined, they had to onboard that person. And onboarding mostly these days means making sure that that person has a laptop and access to the SaaS they need. How do you do that if you don't know what SaaS that team uses? <coughs> and when they were leaving, when, a, when an employee left, well, you have to onboard them from things, offboard them rather from things. So they didn't have access to that sensitive data anymore. But how do you do that if you don't even know what they're using? So it was just a disaster everywhere. So uh, we, you know, we spoke to a lot of other tech companies and other founders and thought about how they, or asked them how they were solving this problem. And in the end, it was a Google Sheet. And we just thought there had to be a better way. It, 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 it's a real pain, precisely because, you know, the invoicing and the way you download the, you know, the receipts, and everything is not unified. And I I know because I've been dealing with this in Marspace for, for six years, even though I'm not in charge of accounting, but because I subscribe to some of these uh, software that we're using and, and uh, I might be the only person who's got access to that, I need to go every month to certain uh, things I use, like Superhuman, for instance, right? My, uh, my email client or the Google accounts. Google accounts, funnily enough, Google is really difficult to uh, to sort of get the the, the receipts and invoices from uh, f for certain of their products, like for a Google Drive subscription, is a pain in the ass. Like, there's no way you can automate that. You cannot delegate it to other people. It's not like you can give your Google password to somebody else in your team, and uh, you need to go there and claim it yourself, right? So I see that this is especially painful. And one of the things that you you've brought a really uh, you brought up a really really interesting concept, which reminds me vaguely of the concept of bring your own device, right? And I remember when I was working, I think it was at Deloitte like eight years ago, well, more like 10 years ago, um, there was a trend in the industry that, that was starting to happen as people would use their own laptop for whatever reason, or even the, the phone in the office, right? So that means you need to sort of, first of all, register all of the acknowledge that people are doing that, register, do some kind of risk assessment and governance and all of that. And so you basically you're doing the same with SaaS. Is that a way to put it for people more like in the corporate industry to understand it? Yeah, bring your own SaaS. Absolutely, right? So you need to, and that means companies knowing what software they've got, knowing that they're happy with it and having a process to, to bring visibility and control to that because it's great if anyone, everyone can bring their own software. It's not so great if you have 100 different people subscribing to the same thing. Because one thing is, expenses, right? And that's pretty easy to to control because at the very end, the company decides whether they pay for that or not, right? But they most of the times they don't have control over what people are actually using. Let me give you an example. Dropbox was one of the first companies that infiltrated companies throughout their users, right? It was, it was not a B2B, it was more like B2C, but they knew they would infiltrate their companies through this personal usage of the tool, right? I can think of other stuff, like I've been advising a mail track, for instance, and mail track, it's kind of like the same. Companies adopt it after they see that the whole sales team is using mail track, right? So there's, you know, the expenses part is just a very small part of it. But the other one is when companies are forced to do that, right? So all of these risk assessment, governance, is that something that I would be able to control with Cladara, for instance? Is that something that you guys help the companies with? You touch on a really interesting point, right? So the expense process within businesses is fantastic if you're buying a cup of tea or a coffee or donuts for the office or, or whatever, right? Where it doesn't work is for software because if you think of the way an expense process happens, you buy something, then you get the receipt or invoice and you give it to the finance team and they decide whether or not they reimburse you. That happens after. The thing about software is, well, if you're going to be embedding it within important processes like sales, you might want to be deliberate about that. So in fact, the approval should happen not after, 
you've already got it and it's too late. It should actually happen before. And this is this is a key part of Cordaro. So as an employee, I can see what software we have. And if we don't have a piece of software that I need, I can request it through Cordaro. That can be approved by perhaps the finance team or the IT team. And then once it's approved, you get a Cordaro uh, card come to you virtually on the screen that you use to pay for that product. And after you pay for it, it means you, you don't have to do an expense report at all. We're connected to your email, so you don't need to look for invoices anymore. And the finance team love you because we're also connected to your accounting system, so we automate the bookkeeping for it. And actually, that brings me to, to the next thing. One thing is when you hire, when you subscribe to a to a SaaS platform, but what happens when you when you forget that you're subscribed to that SaaS platform, right? At the end of the year, you receive this receipt that's like, oh, fuck, I didn't remember. Like, I'm still, you know, I paid again. Like, Dropbox is like, oh, I paid again. Now it's one more year, right? Um, how, how do you deal with that? And on, like, on average, what have you seen in the, in the industry? Like, is this something that is a real pain? How did you start digging up the pains of your customers, actually? Yeah, so if you look at the data, So Gartner have really good data on this. They say that uh, 30% of global SaaS spending is, is being spent on forgotten, unused, and duplicate subscriptions, right? So, <laughs> and so, uh, software, right, tends to be the second or third largest expense in most, most tech companies. So it's a massive waste. Every SaaS company knows this as well, right? Because they know that not all their users are uh, 100% monthly active. And every one of those users that are not monthly active is a user that's paying them for nothing, right? So it's, a, it's kind of an open secret in the industry. And that's why oftentimes SaaS companies won't even um, email inactive users in the lead up to a renewal because they want them to hit that renewal date. They want them to make the next annual payment or the next monthly payment uh, without being reminded that they have it. So one thing that Cladara does is we give you a, a calendar of upcoming renewals. So you can see, oh, look, I'm about to, I'm about to pay for Dropbox in, in the next seven days. Maybe I could cancel it. But of course, that's the other thing. So typically SaaS companies, they're very good at making it easy to sign up and optimizing that process. Yeah. The cancellation process is, is you know, often just an email, like, please don't charge my account this month. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. How did, you, how did you get, because obviously there are thousands, if not dozens or tens of hundreds of thousands of different software subscriptions you could, you could buy in the internet, right? How did you start finding how to implement which ones? I remember, if I'm not mistaken, you started with cloud only, right? Cloud providers. Um, Why did you take that decision? Why cloud providers was the the niche you started with? And how did you transition out of that into a broader range of uh, software subscriptions? Well, there are a lot. A lot. I think Crunchbase says there are 35,000. As you say, there, you know, there's probably hundreds of thousands of SaaS uh, products. Not so many. Not so many. <laughs> I can tell you that, um, you know, we're a young company, but we still had more than 2,000 different software products bought through the, through the platform. And, you know, if, you, if we had to go and integrate with 2,000 different providers from day zero to make Cladara possible, it just wouldn't have happened, right? It, it was too much work to add value to our users. So, um, but the good news is we're, we come from a financial services and, and fintech background. And what we realized was that actually most, if not all, software providers accept card payments. So if, you gave, if the, uh, the software was paid for, on a card that we controlled as in Cladara, then we'd get the data feed from MasterCard. So we'd know what you were paying for. We could enrich data around that to help you understand, you know, where your money's going in the business. But then we could also put you in control of cancellation because actually if you cancel the card, then the vendor can no longer take payment. And so with Cladara, you have, if you've got a hundred subscriptions, you've actually got a hundred Cladara cards. And like that was kind of our growth hack to get to market very fast by going through the, the card schemes. As we scale, you know, that, that means we've been able to support our customers buying thousands of different software products. But as we add new features, you know, this is going to require, you know, building of more technology outside of the payment stack. But why cloud? Why did you start with cloud? Why, why did you find that cloud was more painful than other market sectors or other subscriptions a company might have? Sure. I mean, I... So I've got my wallet 
just here and i can tell you that i've got dozens of cards dozens yeah. of cards like every time there's a new neobank or, or something i sign it up try it I'm out. that kind of person too yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so payment isn't payment isn't a problem right to pay for something as long as you've got the money there are there are dozens of different ways that we can all do it and so and helping people buy again cups of tea or, or whatever else wasn't a problem that people had the problem they did have was around software because though payment is an important step of the journey, right? Payment is the front door for software into, into a business. It's everything that happens before the payment, i.e. how do we decide if we want this software? Hmm. And everything that happens after the payment, right? Onboarding of employees, offboarding, the financial piece as well, is, is a problem. And so that was the greatest pain point that that we had ourselves, right? Because we were, we were running companies that were using lots of SaaS. And when we spoke to other companies, it was their big pain points as well. This was something, they, the, the key words we heard when talking to people were, you know, it's SaaS chaos. We want to control the chaos. And that was, that was what really confirmed to us that, you know, this is a massive unsolved problem within companies. And also something like $400 billion a year is spent on enterprise software. So it's also not just an unsolved problem. It's a very big unsolved problem. Well, maybe one of the advantages of controlling cloud for you was that cloud is something you hire once or twice, like Amazon, you just set it up, AWS, and then as a company, then you hire other services, you scale up, scale down, but it's mostly very big. It might be very big transactions, uh, not very often. So maybe it was easier for you to manage these kind of transactions, you know, not very often, but big in volume as a young starting company as opposed to a monthly transaction of $5 for whatever, for a graphic editing tool? Oh, actually, no, rather this is, so when we say we started with cloud, we actually started with cloud software. So what yeah. what's happened is in a way we've gone a little bit the other way. So by starting with that five, 10, 50, 500 a month subscription, sometimes, you know, in the end, Cladara is um, a way to pay right? You, you can pay for anything with a Cladara MasterCard. So what we've learned is that people start with software where we started, but perhaps they then go add their AWS or even they, they may add their Facebook ads or something because it works the same way, right? You've got mm -hmm. the marketing team, they've got a $20,000 a month Facebook ads budget. Well, instead of that coming out of the CMO's credit card, why not create a Cladara card with that twenty thousand a month budget that they can then use to pay for their ads? So, so it's actually, a prepaid card. It's a prepaid card. Uh, they're actually debit cards, so debit, they work. Yeah. They're it's like a proper bank account underneath. So um, it's got a proper IBAN or or sort code account number in the UK. Uh, it's a current account in in the UK language, and what that means is it's actually great because a lot of um, a lot of the neo-banking products are built on prepaid cards. The challenge with prepaid cards is, and, and maybe some listeners that have tried to pay for things with prepaid cards will have seen it, they just don't work in some places, right? In Google, for instance. In Google, Microsoft Azure, there's a ton of them. We and had a problem with, Rev we, we changed, we switched back, we're trying to switch banks to Revolut, for instance, for certain things. And we found that we couldn't use, I think it was, you know, Capify, and Google and something else that was pretty important in the company. I would say, you know, fuck it, let's go back to a traditional bank. Because for this, there's only three things out of 50 subscriptions we pay, but they are critical. And why, if I cannot have these three things, why should I switch over to this? And then I keep two of them, whereas with previously only one of them we could have done with, right? So... In the end, we went back to our traditional bank. So, um, yeah, why not having credit card? What's the real challenge there? So, credit. So, as a as a small as a young company, right? The way credit works is we'd have to advance effectively liquidity to our to our customers. Correct. And you know, then uh, there are companies that have done this quite quite well in the in the US. If you if you get the way you assess the credit correctly, it can be good for a fintech startup to offer credit because it gives you another way to monetize. But it also does add a new piece of complexity uh, in in the earliest days of a of a company. The other thing is that in the difference in Europe that makes it harder is that um, uh, there's just not 
hasn't been the rails to launch a credit product. So in the US, you can go to one of the banks that support fintech and you know they're happy to give you a credit what's called a credit card bin so the ability to issue credit cards in the US in Europe they've not been so readily available that's starting to change uh, with companies like Railsbank uh, making them available but historically to get a, to get access to a credit card product in the US oh, sorry in the Europe as a fintech has been extraordinarily hard and what is what what are the things about SaaS that you have learned throughout building Clidar, right? Um, you started with cloud software only, and then you started broadening, you know, the range of, of, of kind of companies that you supported. But you always say you talk hundreds of hours a month to, to customers to sort of see what they need as the next feature, right? Can you describe what's this process for building SaaS generically, but more importantly for you as a company? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So uh, Cloudera is coming into a new space. Soft, managing SaaS is a new problem for a lot of companies. And so we, there wasn't a starting position. There wasn't a, you know, a way that companies manage SaaS that was all being done ad hoc, that was all being done manually. It was being done in different ways by different companies, but even different ways by people within the same business, right? There were The HR person had a spreadsheet. The finance person had a spreadsheet. The founder might have had a spreadsheet. And so what we did is spend a lot of time talking to, to, to customers and prospects. So whenever, whenever we engage with someone, what we're always trying to understand is, you know, how do they perceive the problem? How are they addressing it today? How, um, what are their key pain points? What causes them real problems? And Where we notice patterns, and particularly where that those patterns match with, you know, our strategy and our intuition about where we're taking the product, then that's something that goes into co strong consideration into our product roadmap. And really, our customers have been essential in defining what Cladara is today, because understanding, you know, for example, that, uh, under, for example, the Uh, we've introduced more compliance features recently. And those compliance features actually came to us because we got a call one day. We had someone message us li literally on LinkedIn saying, I've got this problem. Uh, you guys really get very close to solving it, but I just need this one extra thing. Is this something you're going to do? And then we started speaking to more people like them. As it happens, We're also like them as a company, and we weren't aware yeah. of this requirement coming up. And so we started investigating. We worked with them to understand exactly what they needed. We went away for three weeks building this part of the product, and we actually took it back and showed it to them and said, look, this is in, in, in our demo environment right now. Uh, does this do what you want it to do? And out of that process, A, we got a new customer, but we discovered an entirely new pain point for an entirely new vertical of customers. And so that's a really great example of how our customers have helped lead us to what Cladara needs to be. The challenge is always that uh, how, you, how you prioritize and filter things. So there are lots of things that we hear from customers that are great suggestions. They're, they're brilliant, but they just don't, they don't fit into where, we, where we're taking the product. And so perhaps, you know, they're documented, they're in a backlog somewhere, they're in an ideas board, but they just don't make the roadmap. And so the challenge for product as an early stage startup is listen to your customers. They will take you to the right places, but just say no as often as possible. I was going to go into that. That's a really good point because um, what's the distribution between building things actual customers ask for and the ones that your gut tells you to build? What would you say is the distribution there? Or what's you the know, strategy the as a company? The magic happens when those things overlap, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to jump at everything that a customer asks because then you end up with a really incoherent product. I think there are some... What, what I find is probably the very big things are often things that come from intuition because we're... We've seen what the future looks like for companies that have to work with a lot of SaaS. We've, we've run companies that have managed a lot of SaaS. And so bringing that back to, the, to you know, today's world where people are st stumbling across these problems for the first time, you know, we know where this is going because we've suffered it. That's why we built Fedora. 
where customer suggestions are most helpful are often around the edges, around the smaller pieces. So for example, uh, there's a, a very small one, right? We're integrated to your accounting, which is great. But one of our customers said, well, you're integrated to my accounting, but you're not accounting for the sales tax on the invoices, which means that, yes, you're doing the bookkeeping, but I need to go in and add the bookkeeping entries for the, the, the IBA or VAT. And so we're like, well, actually, that's really dumb. We could just automate that. And so two days later, we'd, we'd shipped that feature that did the accounting for the sales tax as well. In a sense, it, it seems to me that you have envisioned the kind of company you wanted to have as a provider in your previous, you know, in your previous companies and you're reverse engineering that. And right. that's what you've got right now. And you're building the path. So do you think, is, is that part of the strategy or, or I just made it up right now? You know, it, that's exactly right. It's absolutely wow. exactly that. The, the challenge, of course, is that as a, you know, a 10-person startup, you can't build the end state. You'll, you'll never no, get correct. there, right? But you need so to you, figure out the small steps, all the stepping stones, right? Correct, correct. And so you're, we're constantly challenging ourselves on, on priorities. We have a, a fairly rigorous process around how we, how we plan every day or every week and every quarter. And particularly as you get to the quarterly granularity, you know, we're often wrong, right? So we, look, we always review at the end of the quarter if we did what we'd say we'd do, for example, on product looking back. And, you know, quite a lot of it does get done. But, you know, through that month because we, or the quarter, because we're always learning, sometimes things get deprioritized and other things get, get bumped up. But the surprising thing is actually with that three-month-out view, we end up probably doing 75% of what we'll say we'll do and only dropping about 25%. That's a, that's a, for me, that's a really healthy distribution. What happens with the with the client petitions, you know, one of the problems with SaaS is that sometimes you have, or most of the times, if you don't have a unified, uh, mm, let's say, pricing scheme, perhaps you've got bigger clients or clients are bigger than others, right? And you would think that it's wiser to prioritize them over the smaller clients, but that brings the, uh, the tyranny of building for the bigger client and that makes it, him a bigger client in turn. And you know, what happens is that you end up not servicing the rest of the other customers, which might perhaps be the salvation to your company, right? How do you balance that? Is that is a, a problem that you have encountered in Cladara? So it is always a challenge, right? Because the companies, so we have companies up to about 300 people today, but that's not where we started, right? Our first companies had, you know, two, three, five, 10 people. Um, And you always, you always think, you know, gee, if I could just get, you know, X number of these 300 or 500 or 1,000 person companies, I can go to the beach for the rest of the quarter because I will have hit my, my targets. But the thing is, you can't jump directly there, especially in our world where, where you know, where we're building this roadmap. The truth is that every company, every single company um, will or does have a problem with software already. We've had a bank with 85,000 people come to us a couple of months ago and say, hey, uh, you know, we've got this solution for our on-prem staff. We've got this other solution for our kind of in-bank app store that people can choose from. But gee, bankers with credit cards will go and subscribe to all sorts of stuff. And we've got no control over that. Could we use Cladara for that? Now, that's fantastic. But even once they agree, say they want to use a product like Cladara, that sales cycle and that diligence process that are very large global regulated yeah. entities to go through will, will be very long and take a lot of our resources. We probably don't even have the people to meet, uh, to meet their diligence requirements, right? Because they'll look at things like segregation of duties and, and so on with you know, release releases and we won't do it. And we'll be dead as a company before we close Correct. that deal. So the way we approach it is like product roadmap. So every company in the world will need Cladara, but we're not going to get there right away. We have to sequence it somehow. And so what's happening is uh, our customer base is getting gradually larger over time. So looking at the data, the companies that have become customers of Cladara, say just in Q3 this year, are about seven times larger on average uh, compared to last year. And so... The customer sizes are getting bigger, but it's getting bigger organically. 
right? As we, as people start to become more aware of the problem that we solve, as they start to trust us and, and understand that we're the kind of industry defining solution, they're coming to us. We expect that trend to evolve over time and continue to grow. Though we don't think we're necessarily going to get to the 85,000 person bank. We might get there, but we're going to get there every you know, iteration along the way. What that means is that we get to learn with our customers. And the reason we're able to march up that curve is that, you know, frankly, some of the five person startups that maybe came to us uh, two years ago are now 100 person startups and their requirements have changed over time. And we have a great relationship with them. And they've helped, again, inform that product roadmap about how their requirements are changing, which has unlocked, you know, incrementally bigger customers for us. And so I think we're going to iterate on our go to market just like we iterate on our on, on our product roadmap. But it seems to me that you're wise enough not to go after the, the bank, the 85,000 people bank, just because you've got pre, pre, uh, you know, previous experience at other companies and you know that you should never hunt for the elephant deal. You should go for deer, right? And uh, that's something that experienced people know. Uh, but when you're building your first company, you don't know. And you see this prospect of selling to whatever HP, Or Microsoft is like, let's go for it. And most startups will die just because of the sales cycle, the due diligence, the requirements, the payment terms. The It's not a priority for them. They've got, you know, the corporation has got 10,000 other projects in parallel while you are just there and not taking care of the rest of the business, right? So that's a really, that's a really common mistake. Let's talk a little bit about, you, you brought up a really good point, which is you, you've grown I think you mentioned 7x from the number of, of customers you had last year or something like that. Um, has that happened? Part of it has happened organically, but has the pandemic had any effect on that? As in companies maybe wanting wanting to audit more what they're spending in and wanting to have more control or maybe, you know, to control more their uh, subscriptions. Has that helped in a way, even if help, it's perhaps it's not, not the right word? You know, I think what, what has happened is that SaaS has become way more important for companies and it's opened up, uh, it's reminded them of the importance, but it, it's also become a key enabler for how they operate uh, when they're all working uh, separate from, from one another. That, as you say, has come with challenges and for certain types of companies, they've had to, they've, they've had to really focus on what they're spending. And so, uh, so they're thinking, of, they are thinking about how Cladara can help control costs. But frankly, in our, in our data, we don't really see that that's been a driver of, of customer acquisition, right? It's become awareness of SaaS that's driving customer acquisition and the awareness of the solution to, to bringing visibility and control over SaaS. Um, and in fact, when you, when you look at the data, yeah, sure, like everyone coming into... Um, coming into like global lockdown in end of February, start of March, was thinking that SaaS churn would would go through the roof and that um, you know monthly recurring revenue might not be the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that you know the the SaaS aficionados said it was going to be. But actually, it's been way better than than people think. Now you can look so at it's the, grown. the it's grown right. So mm -hmm. you look at the public the public SaaS companies. That's one thing. Uh, about how they've performed during this and we're doing this on zoom and they're a great example of it yeah. but looking at our data right like in in april when you know everyone had gone into lockdown everyone had established their their new ways of working within companies we did see that companies did reduce the number of subscriptions they had right they they reduced i think it was around one out of every 10 subscriptions got cut because they shrunk their teams that's why Or they either shrunk their teams or they, they, they unsubscribed to things that were just, that were just non-core. Because what was interesting about it was the reduction in the number of tools that people had, about one in 10 were cut, didn't match the reduction in software spending among our customers. So the, the, the software spending only fell on average uh, by about 4%. So what that means is companies were cutting their smaller tools. They weren't perhaps cutting their CRM that was mission critical. They weren't perhaps, they, they definitely weren't cutting things that allowed them to deliver their, their, their application or their value proposition. 
but they were cutting their marketing uh, SaaS or these other design type tools that perhaps in that moment were 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 non-core. One of the things that you know it's we've seen in the market because we in Marsbase we build SaaS. Um, we got some clients. Sometimes we talk to prospective clients, and um, some of them told us that they were their you know their, their income had been reduced not because companies unsubscribe but because their team you know they have to let go a lot of people in the team and their subscription pricing is based on the number of seats right and therefore that had a, a very direct implication on, on the on the on the revenue they were generating from companies so obviously it was not so much that people didn't think about canceling subscriptions because they still need the tools, but obviously they were paying less. So, uh, do you think this is something that will affect the pricing uh, two years from you know from now onwards? Is, is that something that you have seen this fluctuation of the of the pricing because of the of the crisis? Are there other you know are there other alternatives? I mean, obviously you can charge an an amount not based on the number of people who will be using. It's just like a license every month and. It's 30 uh, and that's it. Um, are there other options coming up in the market as an alternative to that? So the other interesting thing on this we, we saw in our data. So April, people cut the non-core things. In May, a very strange thing happened. We started to notice that uh, more companies were changing from monthly to annual subscriptions. Because so of the discount. The discount, right? So, so maybe... Maybe what uh, SaaS companies will do if they start to notice this trend in their data, they will incentivize their customer base to pay for, for annual annual subscriptions because at least you you lock in, I guess, the number of seats. But you also bring forward that cash flow, which if you're if you're um, you know in a market where perhaps raising capital from from venture might be a little bit harder, at least you have that uh, financing from your customer base. And also. From the customer perspective, if you know the finance team might be auditing your expenses, you might want to pay already for the annual thing. As like oh, it's already paid for, you know, it's like you don't have the possibility to 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 cancel the subscription next month. So maybe that's also that's also an option. Another thing I, I saw from the perspective of you know building SaaS is that most clients, most online only clients for. A very brief amount of time, like say three to six weeks between March and April, their revenues, especially if they were e-commerce, they went down to zero for a while. And but now, almost you know, we're six months into the pandemic, they are in high levels of revenue, higher than uh, pre-pandemic, right? Maybe it's because people have already accepted this new normality. But there's been an influx of new customers, new players into the market who, who, who wouldn't have digitized themselves without this pandemic. Have you seen this, this, you know, this incoming uh, mass of people that were not in the market? Have you noticed this trend as well from, from Cladara, from the, gate, uh, the data that you gather? Uh, there's the cliche or something that's become cliche by now that said that COVID's everyone's uh, driver of digital transformation. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it is true, right? So we, if we then look at our customers on the platform and we can see that not only are they managing their software through us, actually they, we see how their software stack evolves over time. So you can see the types of things that, uh, segments of customers are using. And what we see is they're bringing not just tools into like sales and marketing and and for the for the engineers. It's touching more parts of the more more parts of the business. So things that might have previously been organized face to face, right now they're being done digitally. And and certain categories of software have done really well. So things like software that supports online events, right? So previously maybe you'd arrange a meetup for your customer base or you'd You'd organize uh, like a customer conference or something like that in a hotel ballroom. Now you're having to find ways to, to do that online. So entire new parts of businesses are, are going digital. And that's even among tech companies where a lot of things were software driven already. And how about subscription fatigue, which is something that in the consumer world, something that we're already facing, right? People paying for Spotify, for Dropbox, for Netflix, HBO, Amazon Prime, blah, 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 and so on and so forth, right? 
for a company, maybe it's easier to manage because at the very end, it's, you know, it's the company's money. You got a team for that and you don't care that much. But maybe we're reaching a point that some of the su- subscriptions we pay for shouldn't really be subscription. I mean, it, what, when do you think we're milking the subscription model too much just because it's easy to acquire customers in a subscription model? Uh, off the top of my head, I cannot think of any software nowadays that's a one-off fee, like a one-off license fee. I don't, I remember Photoshop back in the day or even Windows, but I don't even know if Windows charges anymore. But um, everybody, everybody is turning into subscription. Are we reaching the point of fatigue or is there still potential to growth? You know, I think what uh, what drives fatigue is the feeling that things are out of control. So if you, you know, for, for me personally, right, I'll have Netflix and Spotify and Amazon Prime and frankly, who knows what else? I'm not in control of that. And actually, it does prevent me personally from signing up to, to new things. And I think for companies, it's, it's the same, right? If you're, if you're uh, like the classic one we had, not, at, not in Kodara, but at a previous company, was we were hiring, say, a lot of designers. And every designer likes to design in their favorite environment. And the types of people that had to look at those designs and provide feedback or comment had to access like different tools with every designer they wanted to work with. And it was, they just got tired of it. They're like, how, you know, how can I do my job with this cognitive kind of overload thinking about which tool I need to go into in order to, to collaborate with you? This is actually a, a really important driver for Cladara. We were surprised to find out that just having a simple system of record for software inside a company was a massive win. So there was one place you could go to see all the software that everyone in the business used. So you immediately knew what you had. You didn't have to, you didn't have to go and remember it. You could just log in and see. And so, and that not only helps with knowing what's there, but it also helps with knowing what you need to get rid of, right? Because you might, you know, these are things not buried in expense reports there anymore. They're for everyone to see. So you go, well, actually that thing, we're not using it anymore. Or I haven't logged into that for six months. Maybe it's a good opportunity to cancel. Are you getting um, customer data, obviously, anonymized and comparing companies as in, hey, you're a company in this sector, this size, other similar companies are using this instead of that. Are you using the data that you accumulate to sort of benchmark and make suggestions for changes or optimization in the cost? This is a, a really good point because if you think about the way people decide what software to use, they, they do two things. They either use the piece of software they've already used before, so perhaps in a previous company or, or something, or they ask a friend that's doing a similar role in another company, you know, hey, what do you guys use for this? And that's how they, they get their views. It's not necessarily the best outcome for the companies because you've got very few data points And the reality is, if you're a London-based seed stage fintech startup with 10 people, the types of software that's relevant for me might be very different to a, you know, a 300-person a uh, game publishing company in Barcelona, right? They're, you have different problems, different use cases, different things are important. And so um, where Cladara is going is exactly uh, part of, what you described, right? So if you will be able to make recommendations based on, you know, your, your head count, your stage, your vertical to say, look, this is what a typical software stack looks like for you. And we're really interested in ways we can, uh, through algorithms, add value. So let's say, let's say you've, you've just crossed the, the head count from 30 people to 31 people. And we notice you don't yet have an OKR tool, but the data says that, most companies of that size have OKR tools. So you can start to prod the right people within <clears throat> businesses saying, hey, maybe you want to think about implementing OKRs because you know 85% of companies like you do that. And the, these are the three most popular tools they use. Maybe one of these is great for you. And like this, we can add value, not just on optimizing costs, but helping people level up and scale up alongside their companies. Correct. That's why. That's what I said. Like, if I knew that, you know, I log into Cladara into my account, and I see that um, companies in you know dev shops or rem all remote dev shops, 20 people. That's our headcount, um, more or less, are using this. 
or you got international clients, you should be, all of them are using TransferWise. You should be using TransferWise. Maybe it's a good idea to build, you know, some of sort of affiliates for you. But uh, that would add a lot of value for companies like mine, because most of the times we don't even know what tools we use, especially as a first time entrepreneur. We don't even know what tools we need. And and there's this thing going on, obviously transitioning from one SaaS to the other, it's, it's a pain in the ass. In the first year of the company, I think every two months we were changing, you know, we changed from, uh, I think we went from Trello to managing projects with Excel, then Trello, then something else. I think we tried Asana or something like that, Jira, and we established, we consolidated in Basecamp, right? Then we also changed, uh, we went from Dropbox to Google Drive, things like that. Obviously, as the company grows, you don't change that often, but you acquire new tools. It's not so much about changing the tools you've got, because if it, if it works, don't touch it. That's something we say a lot around here. But um, you, you have new necessities. You need this tool now to control, you know, the governance of the company, or what you say, OKRs, or um, um, international trans uh, bank transfers, and and whatnot, right? So it's much more about like a marketplace of what's in there for me, what will I need in the next step of the company, right? So um, is this, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm giving you an idea, uh, a business <laughs> idea, right? But uh, uh, how would you incorporate this kind of ideas into into the, the roadmap? Is this, you know, is that something that comes out of a, in like an um the company a necessity that comes out of you as in a company because you you I'm pretty sure you use Cladara yourselves because it's a tool you need right right or would you come from a client so what we what we've learned by spending time with customers is how software exists in a business because that the software itself almost has a has a user journey right and what we've learned is that the the journey for software in a business is uh, we say discover, buy, manage, and cancel. So you need to discover what you've got in the business. You need to discover what you need. You need a way to buy it if, there, if there's something that's new. Then once it's with you, there's all the management piece that comes around that software, and we've talked a lot about that already. So this, that's the onboarding, offboarding, finance piece, et cetera. And then when you're ready to go and you're ready to move move to something else, the cancellation is is the last step. Cancellation, the, the the software leaves the business. And what you're talking about here is very much around the discovery piece. There's a lot of friction around how companies know um, know what software to use. And I think this 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 is a really good example of how customer feedback matches intuition. So we need to know as a business what we're you know where we're going as a company what we're building right and what we've our strategy is to manage the discover buy manage and cancel journey for software a couple last uh, and this fits within oh, it sorry uh, yeah I sorry you off. go ahead no i'm just saying this this exactly what you described is a key step of that journey how do i know what software to bring into the company a couple of questions before we wrap this up what kind of software did companies get rid of during the pandemic when you need to, or, or maybe during, you know, companies, you know, things are going south, you need to cut down on costs because of whatever reason. Um, do you collect data on what sort of company goes out the window first? Yeah, the strongest correlation we noticed was the things that companies were more likely to cancel were the cheaper things. So you might think they'd cancel the oh, wow. more expensive things because that would bring the biggest savings. Actually. They canceled the smaller things. And the hypothesis there is that, you know, if something's important, you're willing to spend good money on it. But if Correct. it's not that important, maybe you can, maybe you're looking for cheaper tools. All those cheaper tools are maybe non-core because you're not, not investing in them. What we did notice though, so they, uh, by and large, the, the tools that were canceled were smaller ones back in, back in April time. What we noticed though, come June, was like revenge of the small SaaS. So we we saw that um, the numbers of SaaS tools grew that our customers use grew by more than twenty percent. But what they were spending only grew by ten, which meant that there was a lot of small SaaS coming back into companies back in back in uh, back in June time. So in it fact, was not even related more, to sector. Sorry, I cut you off there. Um, yeah, just saying. So it's not it's not necessarily related to uh, to to, to set the type of software. It was more related to the the size of it, and I think the size of it reflects the criticality of it to companies. Yeah, I mean, as a like, I think in our case, 
I don't know the exact numbers, but you, uh, I think I'm not off the mark if we say like we spend on SaaS about like seven percent of our expenses, because a company like ours most like I would say eighty five percent of the expenses every year is salaries, basically, right? Right. Um, but out of that seven or ten percent, whatever that is, um, I wouldn't be surprised if AWS, which is you know huge thing for us, uh, has ninety percent of it. And of course, as a software development company, it's you you want to keep using AWS, even though there might be a crisis, right? And you will get rid of, oh, yeah, that LinkedIn navigator is like, oh, we don't really use it. We tried it, but like, ah, I could I could do without it, right? Or some other cost that you might consider a sunken cost, right? Like a really big license, something like that. So it's already paid for like an annual thing, right? But I... I I don't know why. I have the idea that that perhaps that was related to oh, you know, you know, cloud stays, HR stays, accounting stays, development stays, but uh, design, whatever, right? Um, my question for you was: When did you, as a company, turn into a painkiller instead of a vitamin, right? As a necessary thing, uh, and not something you can get rid of easily. So, what's great about Cladara, from our perspective, is we really embed in the operational processes of the company. This is not a tool that's just bought by the finance team that they log into once a month. It's the way the whole business buys software and understands what software is available in the business to them. So actually, our, the uh, the employees within our customers log in fairly often, several several times um, every month, if not every every week. In fact, even some of our customers have passed what they've called the Cladara policy, which literally says, if we see a SaaS product on an expense report, we're not reimbursing it because that's outside the, the correct process. It has to go through it has to go through Cladara. What we see is that um, there are certain triggers that make Cladara not just a not just a nice to have in companies; it's really a must have. So companies that care about where their customer's data is going, cares about who has access to that data, cares about uh, knowing what software they have. Uh, is there, At that point, Flutara becomes really essential. So the ones that, the, the people that really, really, really need Cladara today, it's not just the companies that are looking to scale and have good processes and governance. There's a whole group of companies out there that you know, they're complying with ISO 27001, for example, and they need governance over their software. And what was um, slightly fortuitous for us uh, is that by December next year, every regular, almost every regulated financial services business in Europe needs to have controls, risk management <clears throat> and reporting around their, their cloud software. And that applies not just to, you know, massive banks like Barclays, but also fintech like Cladara, we have to comply with it and everyone in the middle. And so we're now, what's happened since we became aware of that regulation, we're now talking to uh, people like uh, IT risk managers or CIOs and even compliance people within fintech to say, hey, you know, Cladara is going to make your life like a hundred times easier by next year, because otherwise you're going to be filling out, all, you know, this 20 page report for every 50 um, 50 subscriptions that you have manually, or you can just come with us and press a couple of buttons. And the last question, and this is becoming our signature question and this podcast is what's the biggest fuck up you've done at Cladara and how did you solve it? The biggest fuck up we've done at Cladara and how did we solve it? It's <laughs> time to accept that we all fuck up and wow. No companies. There, there, it's a, no, there's a there's such a there's such a long list. Um, no, look, I think the the biggest challenge that we've had we had early on was around the, the focus on on customers. So in the end, actually, the infrastructure underneath Cladara is exactly like your bank, right? You can there are real bank accounts. You can send and receive money. Uh, you can create cards. And early on. Um, very early on, actually, we were, we were very happy to have any customer that would come to us. We weren't advertising, you know, we, we, we tweeted occasionally. So when someone appeared on our website and signed up, we were having a party, right? Because that fell from the sky. Um, but, you know, that did cause some problems because some people were coming to use us, not for managing software, not even for managing uh, the things they were paying for within their business. They wanted to use us like a bank account. 
right? Sending and receiving money, general purpose payments. And that was a challenge because that caused a lot of, uh, a lot of noise within, within our funnel, within our product, within support, because they were trying to use the product in ways that it wasn't designed to be used. Of course, you could do these things, but it was not designed to be easy in the same way that our core user journeys were, particularly very early on when we were basically an MVP. And so that, that caused a lot of stress for us internally. It also didn't give a very good experience to customers, which is exactly what you don't want early on as a business where you want strong advocates for you. What happened then? Like the team was, you know, in the stress, what, what happened? Like, uh, well, in the end, we, we what spoke, were the implications of this fuck up? Well, in the end, we had to speak to customers and say, look, um, we're actually going to offboard you because, All right. you know, we're not giving you a good experience. It's frustrating for you. Uh, we want to give you a good experience, but, you know, we're a small team with limited resources and this is where the product's going. It's not going closer to what you're, you know, we're not going to compete with Revolut. We're not going to be a business bank account. We're going to be a way for you to manage your software. And in fact, they weren't even tech companies, right? Like they were, they were companies that did construction and, and all sorts of things that wanted to pay for their, I don't know, their wood to be delivered to building sites through bank How transfers. did they find you? How did they find you even? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. So we, so that, That was problematic. And of course, then you start to talk to the team and investors and they're like, well, you know, you've got to listen to the market. Maybe we should like add some things to our product roadmap. And that's the, that's the path to ruin. All right. All right. I see where you're going. It's like, yeah, trying, trying to onboard the wrong customers, brought in the wrong feedback and perhaps the wrong, you know, ideas of the product roadmap and all of that. Okay. Exactly. Great. Well, um, There's, if there's something that our listeners need to know, that's your time to speak. You got two minutes to shine. So if you got, uh, you got something to share about Cladara or something that's, uh, that we should be expecting in the next week, something you want to share? Wow. Well, I think the, the first thing is, um, you know, huge, huge fan of this, this podcast. Um, and, Thank you. Uh, and, you know, I think probably many companies listening to the podcast uh, face the types of challenges that we faced and then built Cladara to solve. So, The first thing is that uh, for anyone listening, if you sign up with the code MarsBased, you can you, you can sign up to Cladara with uh, six months for free. But the oh, key wow. thing, is, but the uh, the key thing I think I wanted to talk about, we're really excited about with the new features that we're building for fintech companies. And so, as I mentioned, there's this new regulatory requirement where uh, SaaS uh, companies, fintech companies that use SaaS, will have to do a full risk assessment of every SaaS product that they have before someone signs up to it. They have to record that SaaS on a register with like 30 columns that the regulator could come ask for at any time. And you have to renew that risk assessment every six to 12 months. And that risk assessment has like 30 plus questions. So wow. SaaS is changing for fintech. Uh, fintechs had an advantage for a really long time over banks because banks have had to do this. They they haven't been able to be agile with the software they've used. Correct. Now the now the playing field is going to be leveled a little bit. But uh, we're a fintech. We don't want to we don't want to suffer this. And so we've been working with a lot of regulatory consultancies, customers, um, as well as other experts to build a system to automate as much of this as possible. So no compliance person is going to want to sit in front of a developer and say, you know what, you can't sign up to this tool until I've done a 30-page risk assessment. Um, so what we, got, what we do is help simplify that, bring it back into the workflow, of, the normal workflow of companies and, and software to make it as frictionless as it can possibly be. So at the end of the day, if the regulator does come to you to say, hey, where's your, where's your outsourcing register, you'll be able to click a button get the report that they need and you'll be able to move on with life. So we're super excited about that. And, you know, we're, we're learning about that market because most of it, we have fintech companies as customers right now, but uh, we also have mostly tech companies. And so if there's any fintech companies listening to the podcast that are wondering what they need to do to comply with this, certainly very happy to chat, but also, actually SaaS companies that sell to fintech that want to figure out how their customers are going to be suffering in new ways. Very happy to, 
to talk anyone through that on this uh, that's listening to the podcast to help them how learn how to make their customers journeys a little bit easier great that's super extremely generous that was not prepared at all ladies and gentlemen so quote mars base if i got it correct for mars base the one on the wall right behind you that's yeah i see it reversed because of the the, the screen uh, the mirror effect of the screen so thank you very much uh brad best of the luck with cladara keep us posted about how we can help you anytime and ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to the show for one more podcast here um see you next uh, in a couple of weeks and if you like us just hit like subscribe whatever uh, option there is to give us a review on the platforms you use uh, spotify itunes or whatever i can name them all and wishing you a great week ahead bye bye everyone we are mars based an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you?